Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Dick Burke to the show. Dick is the CEO of Envoy Global, the technology leader in global immigration services. Since joining Envoy in 2015, Burke has helped scale, diversify, and evolve the business into the world's first enterprise platform for hiring and managing a global workforce. Prior to Envoy, Dick was CEO at Apartments.com and SVP for Administration of Classified Ventures, where he saw firsthand the challenges with global mobility faced by many of today's high-growth companies. A thought leader in the immigration and global mobility landscape, Dick has written and contributed to dozens of articles and podcasts centering around talent acquisition strategies, the skills gap, and building global teams. Dick received his JD from Georgetown University and started his career as a lawyer. Welcome to the show, Dick. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, Patrick and Shelley. Uh, great to be with you today. Dick, I, kn- I know Shelley touched on a little bit, but if you, if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, uh, for those who aren't aware of Envoy Global, if you could share you know, what's going on and some of the exciting news that's going on with your business. Certainly. So um, what we do at Envoy Global is we help companies navigate the immigration landscape. And we do that by combining top flight lawyering with our own proprietary technology, helping companies uh, more uh, effectively, efficiently, quickly uh, identify and and hire and seek uh, attain the work authorization for foreign nationals. Most of the work is bringing people into the United States or moving someone uh, foreign national from one location in the United States to another company, but we can also send people globally. Uh, the real innovation part of it is utilizing technology because technology can play a very vital role in improving the delivery of the service. That's awesome. And as a customer of your organization, uh, it is I can I can vouch for the efficiency and effectiveness of uh, how you're able to get through some of that red tape uh, that always seems to be a challenge. And I've always looked at H-1B and some of these other uh, resources as a critical element of our growth. Uh, you got a lot of great talent that's going through the uni- you know, the universities here in, in the States, and we should take advantage of that and, and help keep these people here. So I know the election is still, as we're recording this, still not finished. I wouldn't say it's a dispute or whatever. I'd say it's just not finished. It, it looks like the things are coming to a conclusion. But I was wondering if you could share your um, what you've seen. I mean, with the H-1B, how much change has that gone on over the last 12, 18 months? And how do you see that impact and how you see that going forward? Well, well certainly. Um, I'd say it's been a tumultuous, I'd, I'd say even more, Patrick, than 12 to 18 months. You can almost take it back the full 48 months. You know, for those who don't know, the H-1B is a visa, which is a temporary right to work in the United States. And it's been used by companies to try to attract uh, foreign-born students to come and work for them. And so a very common path is very bright uh, men and women will go to uh, universities throughout the United States. Here in Chicago, you got Northwestern, you got UFC, you've got IIT. And once they graduate, the question is, what are they going to do? And do we as a country want them to go home? Or do we want them to sort of have them, do we want them to be on our team and to contribute to innovation and job growth in the United States? And 
what's frequently lost in the passion of all this is the reality that the STEM unemployment rate is about two or three percent. It hasn't budged since COVID. So employers say to us all the all the time, we represent over a thousand. Hey, we need to maintain this pipeline of very bright kids who we've educated in the United States to let them stay. And the H-1B, getting to your question, is the key vehicle for that. And what that allows you to do, it lets you stay in the United States for a period of years, and then ultimately you move on to a green card, which allows you to be here permanently. Um, and what's happened in the last 48 months has been a series of actions, almost all uh, unilaterally through the executive branch, which is permitted in most instances, tightening up on the availability, the reliability, and the issuance of these H-1Bs. And that happens a number of ways. The government is turning down about four times as many cases as they used to. And they are seeking additional information on about three times as frequently as they used to. They just came out with rules in the last month saying we're going to change the process for issuing them. And what companies are saying, hey, wait a second, the H-1B visa is what brought people like Elon Musk, like Sergey Brin, people like that allowed them their first jobs in the United States. Don't we want people like that on our team? We know that, boy, about 50% of all the private companies vetted over a billion dollars have an immigrant founder. Many of them, their first job was courtesy H-1B. So what many are hoping is that there's a return of some stability to the H-1B program. It's very interesting. So I guess what do you see from this election and the impact, right? Like if I think it was part of the executive branches, you know, Trump's plan to, you know, he reduced that with the idea that he thought it was being disabused, right? That was the justification. Um, do you see that changing regardless of whether he wins or Biden wins? Yeah. Well, I think I, I, I think if, if, if the Trump administration is reelected, they've said, Stephen Miller in particular, they're going to seek to continue to tighten up on high-skilled employment immigration into the United States. The Trump administration, to extent, Trump, excuse me, the Trump uh, campaign has said they will uh, be less restrictive, but they haven't been incredibly detailed yet about what their immigration program will be. Regardless, what we think would be a, instead of being pro-immigration or anti-immigration, too often it's framed as an either-or debate. Either you're bringing in uh, foreigners and helping innovate, or you're abusing and unemploying Americans. We think it can be a both and, and by that I mean, let's get these kids who are here for universities, contributing tax dollars, contributing and supporting our institutions of higher learning. Let's keep them here. Let's, one way to attract them to come to our schools is to let them know there's gonna be a job at the backside, but we can do that, but also protect US workers through provisions around appropriate wages, but also through training. So it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. It should be additive. You know, in our conversation so far, we've talked about how the U.S. is not growing fast enough to support uh, the aging of our of our citizenry. We've got a people are living longer. There's a large percentage of our populace now be, approaching Social Security. I think we need to think of immigration as a way to be additive to society and not be viewed as an as an either or. So hopefully, regardless of who's elected, the campaign the, the dialogue will turn to that. We'll see if it does. But I, I think most most employers would be rooting for a Biden administration. Those that we represent would say just because their desire to continue to access this great talent while following all the rules around protecting U.S. workers. 
So, Dick, I'm just curious. I think you said the H-1Bs have declined by four times and the amount of information requested is uh, three times the amount. How is that impacting your customers? Sure. It, it, excuse me, I wasn't. What, what's gone up four times, Shelley, is the number of denials of, 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 of applications. The aggregate number is fixed every year, 85,000 new issued every year, Shelley. But when you apply for one, the percent of cases that have resulted in a denial, whether it's of a, a new visa or a transfer of a visa or an amendment of an existing visa, those denials are up 4X. And the request for additional evidence, that's called an RFE, those are up about 2 to 3X. And what that has done is it has caused anxiety in the foreign national. They're like, boy, do I want to cast my lot uh, and be dependent upon seemingly capricious decision-making from the government. So they might say, you know what, now I can go to Canada. Now I can go to India. They've got a much more robust uh, capital market system. They've got great universities. Now I can stay in China where they've got very sophisticated uh, progress in the field of AI, for instance. So foreign nationals are saying, it's a little bit too uncertain for me. And U.S. employers are saying, hey, wait a second, I can't stake my hiring policy on something where there aren't enough visas to go around. If I can get a visa, there's going to be challenges perhaps in, in, in transferring it or amending it or uh, even needing to provide more evidence. And, and business doesn't like uncertainty. We all know that. So that's one of the real consequences of all this change is that people are like, gosh, darn, you're making it hard. Hmm. I, I agree with everything you're saying. It should be additive because we talked about like, you know, we're not replacing ourselves. There's so many jobs that need to be done where, you know, we've talked about how uh, in a previous podcast, engaging, you know, uh, usually, you know, disenfranchised communities and finding the talent that can do software development and giving them that opportunity. I mean, it, it's got to be all of the above. I think you're, I think you're, you're totally right. You can, if you think in terms of industry, think of home health care as the country ages. We're going to need more home health care professionals. We're going to need more family internist doctors. So many of them are foreign born these days. What's the wisdom of a policy that denies the country those things, provided the rules around salary uh, are, are honored? Think geographically. You know, I grew up in Chicago. I love Chicago, but I, I get a little worried. Is the country becoming a bit too coastal, perhaps? Can't we have, getting back to this both and idea, couldn't we have immigration policy around, some people call them these uh, entrepreneurship zones, where we'll say, you know what, we're going to, instead of spreading out the available visas wherever they happen, whoever to win, why don't we focus some on uh, northern, quote unquote, Rust Belt towns to try to spur innovation? Look what's happened in Chicago. We've had some success. Think of the, the think of the grub hubs of the world, the sprout socials, the active campaigns, companies like that. Wouldn't it be in the interest of the Chicago's and the St. Louis's and the Cleveland's and the Cincinnati's and the Twin Cities to say, you know, what, we're going to favor those areas and make it more attractive to grow businesses there by putting more, granting more of the visas there. So whether it's on an industry basis or a geographic basis, I think we as a society should want to avoid the challenges like Japan is having, where there just aren't enough bodies to fund uh, the, the, the needs of their uh, you know, aging uh, citizens. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Every so many industries, and I know in the context of the COVID, right? Obviously, there's some ind- industries that have been significantly impacted. But even you know when you you talk about uh, whether it's accounting, marketing, you know, blue collar jobs, plumbers, lay, you know, there's yeah. there's there's not a a surplus of of you know of talent there. Everybody's in the same boat together. Yeah, you're you know you're exactly right and. Again, it's so easy to not have the discipline to dig into the facts. The, the, the fact is, literally, the STEM unemployment rate is basically unchanged since COVID has happened. It's low, low, low single digits. And there's certain professions we need really around healthcare is the most obvious one right now, where foreign nationals could help, right? Another interesting one is we help some companies that um, pharmaceutical companies need to be able to do tests of people in, of from all types of countries. And if those people can't come into the United States to do these testing, we end up paying the price by not having access to the latest uh, in, in, in pharmaceutical treatments. So there's a real range of being impacted here. And the companies that we represent, what they're saying this is, listen, let's have it be the both and, and it can be done. It's just so easy to fall into this yes, no conversation. Right, right. And you did, I, one of the things I, I, I we talked about before is, you know, how do we keep Chicago relevant, right? You look at the Motorola of, of most of our experience, that's, you know, there are a lot of large organizations, a lot of technology firms were rooted here in Chicago. And we we have we still have tons of really successful established businesses uh, and some a great startup community. But we I, I do think we've lost that Motorola, right? Where it's, you know, there's a, you know, 100,000 people working for this, one organization. And to your point of like allocating uh, these H-1Bs and this, you know, because I think part of the challenge with the way the H-1B system existed before was it was kind of being a little bit abused by some consulting firms, right? You know, they were totally able to, you know, leverage that. And it wasn't creating, I think, the, the diaspora that they were trying to of like getting it everywhere. And now it, it's just, so I do think there's some improvement that could be made. I wholly agree with you. And that's that notion of these entrepreneurship zones. Let's not scatter it to the winds. Let's be thoughtful about where we place them. Because, you know, you think about you, and there's all sorts of statistics to back this up in terms of where our patents coming from, where the unicorn companies coming from. But we can use policy to try to redress some of that. You know, Chicago has many of the really perfect intangibles, lower cost of living than the coast access to terrific education. You've got University of Chicago, you got Northwestern, you got IIT, you've got Champaign-Urbana, for gosh sakes. But we're not doing all we can with that through policy to keep these jobs here. And then what, the thing is, once you get enough of a talent cluster and you get success, then those companies sell and that puts capital back into the market. And what's really happened in Chicago is we've not had, you know, Groupon was a good success until it wasn't. But contrast that with what's happening at the wealth creation on the coast, where that wealth creation is then recycled back into more jobs and more startups and more innovation. And you really get a the proverbial flywheel. It's such an overused term. That's what we need to do in Chicago. And there's a role for policy to, you know, you know, to play in that. That's great. And it, I love that idea, the talent cluster, right? Like that's a I love that phrase. Because I, I think it's totally it has its own gravity, right? So Completely. Complete. And, the, and the interesting thing about talent clusters, you know, Harvard Business School, Patrick has studied them. And, they, and what's cool about them, some clusters you can't avoid for some reason. 
why do all the movie stars go to L.A.? And why do all the country musicians go to Nashville, right? The interest and in why did in the days of heavy manufacturing, you had to get all these people clustered together in Detroit to make an automobile. With technology, all that can go away. So there's these the impediments to forming a cluster. Uh, they're not there. So we get we can create them in a market like Chicago because we've got the attractive environmentals. We just need to be more conscientious about it and try to have some policies up support. It. And then you get the cluster and then the real uh, uh, power starts to get unleashed. That's awesome. I'm interested on in your perspective around that global mobility, right? As, and that's, you know, so there's the national, international, then global concept of like, you know, I think we all see that there's national mobility at this point, right? Most of the people are working from home, at least what I've heard till end of March, maybe even like halfway through the next year. Uh, and I think we've all had conversations with people, neighbors, friends, family who are considering alternative locations, right? Whether that is, you know, down in St. Lucia or, <laughs> you know, in Arizona, or as my friends in Green Bay keep petitioning me for, for me to move there, which they don't seem to realize I learned my lesson. <laughs> there, there are schools south of Chicago. <laughs> but like from your perspective, that global mobility, what, you know, how do you see that forming over the next 12, 18 months? Well, it's 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 real, and let's start with, start with the near term. With COVID, has made that abundantly clear. Many companies have already said we're going to become location agnostic, or we're going to become entirely remote, entirely virtual. Interesting articles in the paper lately about all the folks in the West Coast leaving San Francisco and taking up residence in Idaho and Wyoming and Colorado and having a better quality life. So we're seeing it in in, in the United States for sure. But the interesting thing is. It has been a reality internationally for a long time. Historically, if you were a bright, ambitious, and generalizations are dangerous, so acknowledging that. But if you were a bright, ambitious, well-educated person from China or from India, uh, uh, Iran, you would frequently try to come to the United States because that's where the perception was, where all the opportunity was. You had the rule of law. You had access to capital. You had a, 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 an open-mindedness and a receptivity to things that were foreign. Now, as that seems to start to recede, and as India develops its own startup market and its own rule of law, not as pronounced as the United States, but a, a vibrant venture capital community, as China starts to do some of that with all sorts of restrictions, I acknowledge. Um, you've got a choice, Canada, my gosh, same time zone as North as the United States, excellent schools, similar climate, same language. Foreign talent now has choices that. Whereas we were almost the de, de facto destination before, it ain't that. It's not going to be that easy for the United States anymore. People can go to Canada where they can get their visa approved in a matter of weeks for themselves and for their spouse and their kids. By the way, so the United States has to realize, you know, it's it's like we had the only hamburger stand in you know third or the only gas station in a fifty mile radius. There's a lot of gas stations now out there, and we've got to offer better than something better than crappy coffee and expensive gasoline because. <laughs> terms of global mobility, these people, they, they might, I, I, I'm going to go back to India. There are great companies there. I'm going to go to China. I'm going to go to Canada. And do we want to have, you think of these, you know, Amazon, uh, Bezos's stepfather, uh, immigrant, Jobs, uh, adopted father, immigrant, Google, founded by an immigrant, uh, SpaceX, I mean, do we want to be attracting these people or, or don't we? 
No, I, I, I hear you 100%. And one of the things when you talked about the, uh, the hamburger shop, uh, one, I love the metaphor. I thought you were talking about the broad stop right there at the border. I don't know. You know <laughs> where that's just overpriced crap. You know, people are like, oh, I'm going to the broad stop. I'm like, you're going to get robbed blind. Right. Right. But now there's choices, now there's right? Choices, and, right. And um, so I, I think going back to that, we've got to view it as talent, has got has got these choices, so there's going to be a increase in and through the evolution of technology. By the way, we're sitting here on Squadcast. We we, we can be on opposite sides of the earth. The need for proximity is being reduced. It's, it's not eliminated, but um, if our policy is premised on the notion that oh, folks got to be here in the in the, this country, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah, well, and the, I think we, so. We have uh, we work with foreign uh, people all the all the time. We've got folks down in, in Costa Rica, same time zone. Yeah. Right. And then when you, you think about Toronto, which again, I think when we talked about before, uh, great technology, right. It's a, it's a great uh, technology town, a lot of FinTech, a lot of banks, some of the great university of Canada are in TO, um, yep. you know, but at the same point in time, you've got same time zone plus or minus three or four that that's, you know, that's pretty, pretty good. compelling. Yeah, it is. Pretty compelling, and we, and we got to decide: do we want them? Do we want to fight it, or do we want to uh, take advantage of it? Right. So, Dick, do you think we're ever going to catch up from the U.S. and be more like Canada? Or, I mean, is that even well? You know, that's a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I'm very, you know, mindful and empathic. I mean, globalization has been hard on a lot of people, and immigration has been hard on a lot of people. People have been displaced by that, so I am not sweeping that under the rug at all. I think the most uh, advantageous policy for the country and what those we represent tell us is it can be that, that both. And, you know, Canada has got enormous natural resources, enormous amount of space. They're not growing enough Canadians. Their whole premise of growth is through immigration. They know if they want to continue growing their economy, it's going to have to be through immigration. So I'm hopeful that we get to a mindset that's a bit more welcoming without leaving behind those two have really been, you know, globalization immigration has put a whoop on, you know, you, you go a hundred miles from Chicago and you see what happened, but it needn't be the zero sum thing. Yeah. I, I think the globalization from a manufacturing standpoint, but that's the days that's gone, right? Those, those are other last, those are jobs that, right. Yeah. We're, we're transforming, but there's new jobs, right. And there's new jobs and new opportunities. And I know these jobs all provide so much more freedom. Right. Freedom and, you know, value development. One thing I would say on the Canadian side, having uh, gone to a school where they recruited Canadians to play hockey, we had great talent pipeline for for Canadian hockey players. And what always struck me was, you know, these guys knew, you know, the professional hockey was probably not their future. So the way that they were going to get value out of their investment was many of them, like you mentioned, very ambitious, very, very A-type, want to get out and again, making generalizations, but they wanted to get to the States still, right? That was, why else would you go play for St. Norbert College? (laughs) 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 The chance to study with Patrick. (laughs) But they didn't have me on any of the marketing material, which I think was a terrible decision. I tried to explain that to them and they're, they're like, they're like, who are you? And I'm like, okay, never mind. So, but yeah, the whole point was a lot of them, their their point was, I want to get in the States. I want to get an H-1B. I want to find a way to stay. I want to find a way to get a job here, right? Because that's ambitiously, to your point, 
where they visualized opportunity and there are people that wanted to, to get to that type of environment. We, we still represent that, right? This country still does to, I mean, you see what's going on in, in China and in Taiwan and some of the other places where these people are yearning for freedom are carrying American flags still. Yeah, exactly right. And I think the challenge could be those, a lot of those manufacturing jobs probably aren't coming back, but I can speak from my experience. My first job after being a lawyer with being part of this change of, jobs being created around these classified ads what's the best way to find a car find an apartment in the old days it was a classified ads and so there was a whole printing press thing and there was ink and there was paper and then we realized that the technology could make the process of finding a car or finding a house or finding an apartment much easier faster cheaper more tired so those jobs migrate they didn't all migrate but that's the role that technology could play in that space in the space i'm in now it's utilizing technology to make the immigration process easier. So there will be, it's not like they're all going away. We just need to be forward thinking enough that we can, going back to your hockey analogies, Patrick, skate to where the puck is going, right? And the, and it's going to be not around, you know, more, uh, more simplistic manufacturing. It's going to be more around, uh, you know, 3D manufacturing, for instance. And so how do we skate to where the puck's going? I agree, Wayne. <laughs> and I know if Roman is out there listening, he was waiting for somebody to misquote a good friend of mine. He, somebody mentioned that same quote attributed to somebody else. I forget who they misattributed to, but it was it was Wayne Gretzky, right? So be where the puck is. So uh, I agree. I, I think it's fantastic. And I, 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 you know, we work with a lot of other organizations that actually one of our clients facilitates. Uh, this American immersion where they bring in high school students and college students and they facilitate those types of, and they've been uh, so significantly impacted by, by all of the things that have occurred from being locked down and not even being able to, to go and uh, have any of those types of opportunities to bring people over here just to fall in love with the place. Right. Like, uh, you know, have that high school kid come over and spend a semester or two live with an American family and really get to understand like what makes us great. Uh, so I, it, it really, I think to your point, it's, we got to fix this, right? Yeah. It's got, we got to fix it. Cause I see this honestly as the greatest risk to America right now. We have rule of law. We've got all these other great things that the futurists always attribute. Like what are those characteristics? Our biggest risk is the fact that we don't have enough people and that number is going down. I think, I think that's right. And all the studies also make clear that if you get people from diverse perspectives, diverse experience sets, you're going to end up with a superior product. It's, it's almost you know Darwinian in that way, that you want to get a breadth of experience. And we need it in the near term for innovation. We need it to be competitive because otherwise these people are they're going to go somewhere and they're going to build something and they're going to create jobs and contribute taxes somewhere, I would think here. And then we also, like we said at the top of the show, in terms of the social security blanket. Who's gonna who's gonna cover all that? As people are living longer and longer and longer, we're not creating a fuel to do it. And you can see you can very poignant examples of what's happening in in other countries, first in Asia and now in, in Europe, it becomes a it's a, becomes a real issue. No, I, I I couldn't agree more. I think it's uh we're gonna have to figure it out. Somebody we gotta make some changes here, right? Because I I you know the concept and you know making it so that we're driving up the, the salaries of the people who are here, which is the outcome of what's happened, right? And that's good in the short term. Uh, 
from a healthy long-term standpoint, it, it is a risk. So I never think it's a bad thing to like turn the dials one way or the other, right? This is the beauty of, of the American political system, right? The right. fact that we can, we're not stuck in one way or the other. But I also think we need to be aware and we, I think, you know, the powers that be have to, you know, recognize we are thin, right? And we need, we need that STEM talent, right? We need people who have a passion for being in these types of programs and learn the things that we need them to learn and we need them to stay. Yeah, for sure. And the, and the government's own data backs that up, Patrick. Uh, Long-range planning from the government statistics show what do they think the uh, general job growth will be and the computer space job growth will be 2x that. We know, in addition, that American students aren't uh, pursuing and obtaining STEM degrees enough to create this problem, so that at the master's and PhD levels, well over 50% in STEM fields are foreign-born. So we've got to, if we, if we want to be where the innovation is and the job creation is going to be, we need to, it, it, I wholly agree with you. Shelly, what do you got? I'm curious about your clients. That's incredible. You're up to a thousand plus clients. Is that a range of, you know, startups to Fortune 500? What does that look like? Well, we're, we're really lucky. Uh, we've got Fortune, gosh, 30 or 40 companies, the big, wow. big, big ones, all the way down to very, very promising startups. Uh, we represent the Chicago Blackhawks and worked with them for about 10 years. Think about other, you know, Patrick Kane. Uh, uh, many of them are foreign born. Uh, but the common, thread. You can't even say technology because so many companies that we represent, are, you wouldn't think of as technology companies. They can be massive insurance companies. Uh, they have a real need for STEM talent as well. But the core, Shelley, would be either B2B uh, software companies that are doing quite well in this current environment or B2C software companies. So in Chicago, you know, companies like cars.com, like Grubhub, those types of players is the real core. B2B, B2C, Many are SaaS, uh, some are transactional models um, in need of STEM talent, but it can be consulting firms, it can be architectural firms, it can be software manufacturers, hardware manufacturers, uh, it can be uh, insurance companies, financial services. Think of the way we consume financial services now. We all love our Chase app. Uh, that didn't build itself, right? Uh, it can be marketing tech. Think of companies like Sprout Social or Active Campaign. Uh, so it's the whole range of industries. It really makes it kind of fun. We're representing a bunch of companies now that are involved in the sprint to create a vaccine for COVID, wow. uh, which is really, which is really neat. And again, don't we want those people who are smart enough to figure out the, the, the vaccine? Exactly. For don't we want them on <laughs> I would think so. I think I'd rather them working with us than shoving, you know, vaccines down the uh, Russian army's, you know, road. Because I'm pretty sure that's the beginning of every like zombie apocalypse movie. <laughs> AI, we get to help companies with with driverless cars. So it really is neat as an employer that we can say to those we recruit to try to work it on foot. Hey, listen, you're going to help these companies indirectly around autonomous vehicles, around COVID inoculations, around the Chicago Blackhawks talent pipeline. Gosh darn it, uh, around. Grub up, so it's 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 really one of the funnest parts of our job, and it's a very fulfilling mission. This notion of helping people live their most fulfilling lives, letting them work where they wish, frankly, more fulfilling than saying my past life helping people find an apartment. Yeah, that's great. And I noticed all the books behind you. I'm curious, any great business books you've read lately? 
you know, I'm I'm not a huge business book guy. The one that I like best, um, I, I I love uh, Clayton Christensen, Innovator's Dilemma. I thought that was a I, that's clearly one of my favorites. I love the one about uh, radical uh, uh, radical candor, which is about not struggling with giving critical feedback. Um, I love as I as I look at them. Obviously, the Collins books, good to great. I like Doris Kearns Goodwin's books on. Uh, on, on, on leadership, some are biographies. She's done a few more recent things on leadership. And the other ones I really like that I think are interesting for business are the ones more in the realm of like um, sort of behavioral economics and how the mind thinks. Like, I don't know if you read um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman. Yes, I love that book. It's it, it really dense. And it's I, it's yeah. a hard read. It's a yeah. hard read. Yeah, I got to read those pages a couple of times. But I thought that was really fascinating. I love... Um, uh, Richard Daler stuff down here at University of Chicago, just about how your mind thinks and how design impacts decision-making. Those are fun um, business books. And the other ones, I guess, are just straight-up biographies. I just find, like, you know, you think you're having a hard day, read read Churchill's biography. My God. Or yeah. FDR, or what those, what those guys had to go through. Uh, another great one was Cast. Not, obviously not a business book, but read that after uh, all the you know, George Floyd's killing. Um, and that's a great, if you haven't read cast, I really recommend that one too. Okay. Thank you. I, I read my kids are, I'm so old now. My kids are either in college or out of college. So I finally got time to read. That's great. That is awesome. All good suggestions. Thank you. Well, I, Dick, I think we could go on for hours, honestly. Uh, we haven't even touched on the bears yet. So, oh. so <laughs> I think it's time to wrap before we go down yeah. that rabbit hole. I think the bears might need foreign talent. Uh, <laughs> I think you. Oh I think you take the foreign off the front, and we're just fine. <laughs> we need and I'm talking about at the management, ownership, leadership level. You know, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's a lot of mismanagement going on over there. All right. Well, Dick, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your your vision, and what you see. Your experience is, I, I think, amazing. Uh, you know. Obviously, you got a very futuristic mind in the way that you think, and I really appreciate you taking the time to to share what you what you're saying. Yeah, thank you, Dick. Well, I listen. I'm really kind to you. Uh, thank you for having me. I really have enjoyed it, and uh, thank you. Awesome. Have a good day, Pat and Shelley. See you later. All right. We'd also like to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.